0: Hey, howdy, hey, Northridge family. Welcome to our first ever live stream service. And when we made the decision on Tuesday to spend services, uh, we did it with the understanding that we weren't going to cancel services, but we were going to do all we could to have a live stream available so we could still have a church service of some sort for our church family. But I had never done anything like that with live streaming before, so I watched a couple of videos and I read a couple of articles to try to figure out what would be the best way To do something like that. And the articles were typically very helpful, but one of the most oft repeated themes in the articles was try to make the video as normal as possible so it feels like a normal day at your church. And to me that made loads of sense, uh, because everything is not normal right now, and so something that feels normal, that is normal, is kind of what most of us want. But last night as I was praying for some, for my pastor friends and For some of the missionaries I know, I just kept thinking and realizing and praying today is not a normal day. If it was a normal day, you would be here rather than at home watching this on Facebook. Uh, If it was a normal day, we would not have some point today Googled already how many confirmed cases of coronavirus are in Oklahoma. So it's not a normal day and I'm not going to act like a normal day. Now, despite the fact this isn't a normal day, it's still not a day for fear or trepidation either. It's a day for us to gather, although virtually, to worship our great and our awesome God. right? And we're going to do this. Now, sadly, we won't be able to worship with music today, but we are going to start with prayer. And I want our prayer time to be focused this morning, so open your Bible, if you have it, to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, to what we call the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Right, while you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and kind of read it for us. Jesus says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now what we're going to do is take time this morning and just kind of go through and pray this prayer. But we're not going to pray it as a a reciting it kind of prayer. Rather, we're going to let what Jesus says here, what Jesus talks about, let that guide our prayer. So as we go through it... uh, Look at it and just pray your own prayer based upon the things Jesus says. What does it mean for God to be your Father? What does it mean for His name to be hallowed? His kingdom to come? And pray those sort of things. But I will lead us, uh, and as I lead, you pray along with me. Father, You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Your word declares to us, you are in heaven and you do whatever you want. Therefore, do not let fear control our lives. Father, we choose to be absolutely confident in you. We seek your will to be done in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our community, and our country. And while we may not always know what your will is about specific issues, we know Jesus and his teaching is the perfect expression of, of your will. Therefore we pray, help us to be a righteous influence in the world around us. Guide us and make sure we have a righteous testimony in the world. Give us peace instead of panic, faith instead of fear. Make us steadfast, immovable, always abounding in your in our labor for you, for we know that nothing we do in your name is ever in vain. We would see and take advantage of every opportunity we're given to do good for others in the name of Jesus. Guide us to to see and take advantage of those. Work through us and in us and for us and enable us to help others experience the eternal and abundant life Jesus came to give. Father, needs abound in this time. Let our president and our leaders have wise and godly counselors And let them make wise and godly decisions. And where there is wise and godly counsel, let it prosper. And where there is foolish and ungodly counsel, let it be frustrated. Guide our schools as they seek to make decisions about how to move forward. Give them the wisdom they need to best take care of our students. Bless Daniel Stiles and the staff of Dunaway Manor at this time. Give them wisdom to best take care of the neighbors who live there. Keep this virus out of the manor. And keep the residents safe. God, Dr. Manny and the rest of the medical personnel in our community. Give them wisdom and clarity and resources necessary. To do what needs to be done to take care of the folks in our area. Bless our church and the churches in our community. Let our churches be beacons of hope. In a world that at some places at some times is almost on the verge of despair. Oh God, in the midst of, of fear, give us boldness. Give us boldness because we know our God reigns and let us see our God's reign in our hearts, our lives, our families, our church, our community and our country. Father, we invite you this morning to search us and try us and see if there's anything displeasing or wrong in our lives. If there is, bring it to our minds and lead us to repent and renounce of anything that is not according to your will, anything that is sin and wrong in our lives. We want to be holy for You, so we can be Your weapons against the darkness in our communities. Convict us of whatever needs to be convicting and cleanse us once we confess our sins to You. Father, in the days and weeks to come, make us strong in You and the power of Your might, so we can stand in the evil days and still be standing when everything is over. Protect our hearts and minds and lives from every scheme the enemy has against us. Father, we do confess today all is in Your hands. We don't understand why things are going on or what's happening in the world, but we know You are in charge. We trust You, we submit to You, and we determine to do all things for Your glory, now and forever. Father, let Your praise always be on our lips. Let us be quick to tell others about the goodness and the greatness and the majesty of our God. We pray all of this the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Now, a major disaster occurred in England's mines some years ago, which took the lives of 40 miners. Loved ones gathered around the entrance of the mines, agonizing for a word of hope. Someone asked Bishop Edward Stanley to speak a word of encouragement to those families. And this is what he said. We stand today in the face of a mystery. But I want to tell you something I have at home. It's a bookmark embroidered in silk by my mother and given to me many years ago. On one side, the threads are crossed and recrossed in wild confusion. And looking at it, you would think it had been done by someone with no idea of what he was doing. But when I turn it over, I see the words that are beautifully worked in silken threads. God is love. Now we are looking at this tragedy from one side and it does not make sense. Someday we shall be permitted to read its meaning from the other side. Meanwhile, let us wait and trust. Now when I read that story on Friday, I thought about how our world right now sure seems like the backside of the bishop's bookmark. There is so much going on outside of our control. Now as disciples of Jesus, we know that's really not the case. We know our God is sovereign. He is in heaven and does whatsoever He wills. Yet if I'm being honest... I have a hard time seeing what God is doing right now because things seem so confusing and so out of control. Now, as the bishop said, there will come a day when the crisscross of confusion makes more sense. But but until then, we have to wait. And as we wait, we have to continue in our faith and in our devotion to Jesus This means we have to guard our minds, for our enemy would love nothing more than to get in our heads, to play his mind games with us, to bring doubts, distraction, despair, and discouragement. To guard against this, we need the next part of the armor of God, which has been given to us, the helmet of salvation. If you haven't already, open your Bible to Ephesians 6, and I'm going to read verses 10-17, through but we're going to primarily focus today on verse 17. And here's what it says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand." Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise. And we come with a need to meet with you today. Lord, we are not gathered In this one place. But we are still gathered with you. And we are gathered together. Though virtually. Lord as we study the word. Your spirit can move from where I am at. To where everyone else is at. To speak to our hearts. To shine a light in dark areas of our lives. That need to be transformed. Your spirit can work no matter where we watch this video from. And we can be strengthened. We can be encouraged. And oh God how we need that today. Father let your spirit. Take your word and make it living and active in our hearts. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. That I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Lord, have your way in all of our hearts. Use this to bring glory to your name and enable us, Lord, as a church to be a beacon of hope that would shine brightly in Gaiman. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the head is a particularly vulnerable spot on the human body. A blow to the arm or the leg may hurt, but a blow to the head causes stars to explode and bells to ring. A sharp blow to the arm can bring serious injury, but a sharp blow to the head can cause death. Therefore, soldiers of every age wore helmets. Roman soldiers were no different. Now, one thing about the helmet to remember is a helmet also protects the mind. A soldier's ability to think in the battle is critical in determining whether they will win or whether they will lose. If we, as Christian soldiers, are to stand in the evil day and do all and still be standing, then we must keep our wits about us and we must think. Because when we quit thinking, we begin to act on impulse or begin to be driven by our passions or our fears or our desires. Satan knows this. And so the mind is typically one of the first places he begins to attack us in our lives. So to protect us, To protect our minds from Satan's attacks, we must put on the helmet of salvation. Now when Paul mentions the helmet of salvation, he seems to be looking forward to our future and final salvation and the hope it brings. I say this in part because when Paul references the helmet of salvation in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he calls it the helmet of the hope of salvation. And any time we see hope, connected to salvation and Scripture, it is almost always pointing to the future. right? If we were to look at Romans 8, 24 and 25, we would see Paul says, we are saved by hope, but this hope is not seen, rather we are waiting for it with patience. Hope is absolutely critical for enduring anything in this life. As disciples of Jesus, who are trying to stand In the spiritual battles we face, we must have hope. Now, the helmet of salvation, it enables us to have an eternal perspective on what's going on in the world and in our lives. Johnny Erickson Tata wonderfully demonstrated the attitude of a person who has on the helmet of salvation. Let me read you something she said. No, Satan doesn't sneak out and cause pneumonia and cancer, or in our case, global pandemics. While God happens to be looking the other way, listening to the prayers of the saints, He can only do what our all-powerful God allows Him to do. And we have God's promise that nothing will ever be allowed that is not for our good. Praise God that when Satan causes us illness or any calamity, we can answer Him with the words of Joseph, who sold Him into, who answered His brothers, who sold Him into slavery. As for you, you men evil against me, But God meant it for good. She goes on to say, I sometimes shudder to think where I would be today if I had not broken my neck. I couldn't see at first why God would possibly allow it, but I sure do now. He has gotten so much more glory through my paralysis than through my health. And believe me, you'll never know how rich that makes me feel. If God chooses to heal you, she says, in answer to prayer, that's great. Thank Him for it. But if He chooses not to, thank Him anyway. You can be sure He has His reasons. Can you imagine how easy it would have been to live your life in one perpetual pity party if you had been paralyzed as a teenager? Rather than living in a pity party, Johnny is able to see the greatness of her God and the hope He has given her for the future. This is what the helmet of salvation can do for us. Now the difficulties we're struggling with right now may not be the same kind as if we'd been paralyzed from the neck down suddenly as teenagers. But the problems we have weigh on us anyway. Right now our problems could come from being cooped up at home and wanting to leave. Be fear and anxiety over the future. Could be struggling financially because we can't work. It could be because we're not physically able to do the things we want to do. It could be because of a broken relationship. It could be because of illness or injury. It could be because of the sudden death of a loved one or, or really just any number of other things going on in our world. These type of trials are real and they weigh heavily on our hearts and minds and they can discourage us and they can cause us to doubt and to lose hope In God, and it is for such a time as this, God has given us the helmet of salvation. Through the helmet of salvation, we can look past our current circumstances and we can cling to the hope we have in Christ. What I want to do this morning is give you two actions to take, to to put on or to take up the helmet of salvation. Number one, learn to live in light of eternity. Learn to live in light of eternity. Now, I use the word learn intentionally because living in light of eternity is learned behavior. Right? Living in light of eternity is not something we just naturally drift to. It is not the natural bent to any of our lives. And I'm not even sure it's something any of us can do apart from faith in Jesus. In order to live in light of eternity, we have to want to live in light of eternity. And then we have to do the hard work of disciplining ourselves to see the world in light of what is coming instead of what is going on at the moment. Now let me give you just a, a small sampling of what it looks like when we live in light of eternity from Scripture. Matthew 5, 10 through 12 says, when we live in light of eternity, we can rejoice when we're persecuted for righteousness sake and for the cause of Christ because we know our reward in heaven will be great. Romans 3, or Romans 5, 3 through 5 says when we live in light of eternity, we can glory in tribulations because we know they, they transform our character and they strengthen our hope. James 1 verses 2 through 4 says when we live in light of eternity, we can count it all joy. When we fall into various trials because they produce Christ-like character in us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't do any of those things naturally. None of those things are the way I am wired in my natural self. There has to be something bigger and more and a change in me before I will begin to think and live in that way. Learning to live in light of eternity enables us to have an entirely different view and an entirely different attitude about the trials and the hardships we will surely face in this life. Now, Jesus, as He always does, set the perfect example for us in how to live in light of eternity. In Hebrews 12.2, we're told to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross Despised its shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if you're familiar with the gospel story, you know Jesus endured much suffering as he went to the cross. Jesus was ridiculed. They mocked him and they made fun of him. They, they spat upon him, asked him, who now prophesied to us? Who, who did that? He was whipped, whipped horribly. If you read about how people were were scourged in that day, you know that many people didn't even survive the scourging, that it was so severe that many died. And and one, one person said that those who did survive, they called them half dead because there was almost no chance they would get well and they would survive the beating itself. He was beaten. Not only was he whipped with a scourge, But the Roman soldiers took turns beating him and assaulting him as they mocked him. Then, of course, ultimately, he was crucified. He was laid down and he had nails driven through his hands and through his feet. It was lifted up. It was dropped into a hole. If what we understand of how crucifixion worked played out, probably his shoulders dislocated. He suffered in pain and agony as they mocked him from the cross. And then ultimately he, he died through suffocation. Crucifixion was a, a horrible, horrible way to die. Even so, Jesus did not give in to doubts, distraction, despair, or discouragement. Why? Well, the author of Hebrews says it's because he had his mind focused on the joy set before him. Jesus endured all of the suffering and all he went through on account of the joy he knew would be his afterward. What was the joy Jesus was looking to? It was our salvation and his exaltation. Jesus knew through his sacrificial death on our behalf, the penalty for sin would be taken away. And all those who repented of their sins and called upon Him for salvation, they would be forgiven and they would be reconciled to God the Father and they would live for Him in this life and live with Him forever in eternity. And He also knew that as He endured the cross and He despised its shame, that He would be exalted at the Father's right hand. That is living in light of eternity. Enduring what is now for the sake of what will be then. The Apostle Paul said he he reckons that the suffering of this life cannot even be compared to the glories of the life to come. That is living in light of eternity. And and it is a, a hard thing to do but it is the way we're meant to live. It is the way we can live. It's not just a a pie in the sky, man, that would be great if we lived that way, but as believers, as disciples of Jesus, we can, we truly can live in that way. And if we are going to put on the helmet of salvation, if we are going to stand in the evil day, having done all to still be standing, we must learn to live in light of eternity. So we learn to live in light of eternity first. But second, we have to rest or fully rest our hope on Jesus. Fully rest our hope on Jesus. Now that sounds easy enough, really, if you think about it. It would be tempting for us to say, well, I have believed upon Jesus. I'm a Christian, therefore, I am resting my hope fully on Jesus. That is just... Not necessarily the case. I want to show you how challenging the idea of truly resting our hope fully on Jesus is. Turn with me to Philippians 1, verses 21 through 24. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Now these are the words of someone who has fully rested his hope on Jesus. Paul is writing from a Roman prison and he's waiting on them to decide. Are they going to turn him loose or are they going to take him out and execute him? And Paul, in what would almost seem a strange strange way to live, says it's basically a win-win situation. If they kill him, he gets to go be with Jesus, which is far better for him. And if they let him live, well, then he's going to go on and serve Jesus, which is far better for the Philippians and the other churches. So there's no real loss for Paul as far as he's concerned. He goes so far as to say, in verse 23, that if they were to come to him and say, Paul, you choose. Do we execute you or do we let you go? Paul said, I don't know what I would choose. Because being with Jesus is the best, but serving Jesus is really needful and important in our lives. I mean, why would someone... Make a statement like that. It's because his hope was fully in Jesus. And he knew Jesus was better than anything else. And So he was willing to live for Jesus if that was the case. Or die and be with Jesus if that was the case. Look quickly at Philippians 3 also. Philippians 3 and verse 7 and 8. Paul says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. When Paul became a disciple of Jesus, he pretty much lost everything he had worked his entire life to gain. He lost his reputation, he lost his family's wealth, he lost his connection, he lost his job, he lost everything. And as he looks over all he had lost, and all he had given up, he said it was worth it. In fact, he said it was dumb compared to what he had gained. What did Paul gain? Did he gain wealth? No. Did he gain fame? No. Did he gain luxury? No. Did did he gain a life of ease? No. What Paul gained was Jesus. They could take everything else in the world. His freedom, his reputation, his wealth, even his life. But he had Jesus. And Jesus was enough. He was resting His hope fully on Jesus and nothing else mattered. Now when we see it like that, it's a bit harder to say that we are fully resting our hope on Jesus, isn't it? Fully resting our hope on Jesus, it may be a hard thing to do, but it is the way we're meant to live. And it is the way we can live. Again, this is not a a pie in the sky, wouldn't it be great if this is how we live? But we truly, really can live in this way as disciples of Jesus. The Spirit of God within us will enable us to be sure we can do this. The helmet of salvation pictures a lifestyle of hope coming from an intentional focus on Jesus and our ultimate salvation. The helmet of salvation enables us to say right now, all I can see is a crisscross mess. But in spite of what I see, I know God is working. And it will make sense to me someday. Let me close with a quote by Billy Graham. Habakkuk said, Lord, please tell me what you're doing. And God said, no. I'm not going to tell you because if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe me. If God today told us what He was doing in the world, we wouldn't believe Him. Don't you think God has given up? Don't you think God's abdicated and God's left the throne? He hasn't. He's still on the throne and those of us who know Him put our trust in Him and Him alone. I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in the United Nations. I don't put my trust in myself. I don't put my trust in money. I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when all the rest of it fails and crumbles and shatters, He'll be there. If you haven't done so, let me urge you today to put your hope in Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Confess your desperate need for Jesus. Seize the salvation He offers and surrender to His Lordship over your life. Let's pray. Our Father, we love You. We thank You for Your grace and Your goodness. We thank You for the hope we have in this time. Lord, we are living in troubling and distressing and interesting times. We've never seen anything like this before in our lives. But Lord, our hope is fully resting in You. We aren't looking to what the United Nations can do. We aren't looking to what Washington can do. We're looking to You and we surrender our lives to You, O God. Father, work in all of our lives. Search us and try us and see if there's anything not pleasing to You. And if there is, Lord, bring us to repentance and let us confess it and forsake it. Father, if there's any that have never trusted in Jesus for their salvation, open their hearts and their minds to see their desperate need for Him. Let them turn to You in repentance and faith. Let them be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Love you guys.